0: Welcome to the Heart Centered Therapist Podcast, the podcast created for you, the therapist who leads with your heart and loves serving your clients. I'm Cindy Gozanski, your host. I know that being a heart centered therapist is immensely rewarding and powerful, and intensely challenging and difficult. We're on this journey together my mission is to help you continue loving your work as a therapist surviving being a therapist and feeling more connected as a therapist hello and welcome to another episode of the heart-centered therapist podcast i'm your host cindy Gozanski, and i'm so glad you decided to listen today you have a lot of Therapist podcasts out there. And I really appreciate you spending some time with me. Today, I have the good fortune of an amazing guest, and her name is Karen Carnabucci. I'm going to introduce you a little to her, and we'll get right into our conversation. Karen Carnabucci is an LCSW. She's a trainer, psychotherapist, author, and consultant in private practice in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. She's the founder of the Lancaster School of Psychodrama and Experiential Psychotherapies. And Karen's mission is about spreading the word about experiential therapy. She's had great success in the past 30 years with alternative psychotherapies, including psychodrama Family constellations and embodied methods that support human connections and community, deepen inner wisdom and enhance relationships. She has found that these results don't always happen with traditional talking, but are easily integrated into conventional talk therapy, coaching, consulting, and education. Karen teaches psychotherapists, coaches, educators, and other helping and healing professionals how to create sessions and presentations that are enlivened with authentic human connection, spontaneity, and sensitivity. That sounds so exciting to me and right up my alley, and I'm thrilled to bring you today, Karen Carnabucci. Hello and welcome. Hello. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure. I'm really interested to learn from you and to share with our listeners so there's so much, I think, that many of us don't know about psychodrama, experiential therapies. But let's start with a little about, about you. Maybe you could share a little about you know your personal professional journey to becoming a therapist and then specializing in this work.
1: Yes. Well, psychotherapy was not my first career. Hmm. My first career was actually a daily newspaper journalist. My vision of psychotherapy back when I was beginning to uh, get ready to go to school was that it was a very talky kind of analytical kind of thing where people sat around and talked about intelligent things and you know the, the therapist analyzed them. And that's not something that I wanted to do. I could not imagine myself doing that. I was a creative person.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I loved writing. And I loved art too, but I loved writing. So I decided to become a newspaper journalist Mm. and received a degree in communications and journalism, and then went on to uh, work for uh, a variety of daily newspapers, eventually becoming an editor of a lifestyle section and interviewing lots of psychotherapists and (laughs) psychologists and artists and And other people. And the interview
0: process. Certainly primed you for the next, the next stage.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I was working at one point on a, an in-depth series on adults who grew up in alcoholic and dysfunctional and chaotic families. And someone told me that I needed to interview so-and-so up at a treatment center in the next county. When I did the interview with this amazing therapist, she said, well, come through the program and experience it for yourself as a journalist, as part of your story. I said, sure, I'm up for it. I liked having new experiences.
0: Right, kind of the participant observer.
1: Exactly, exactly. And I uh, went through her program. It was a week-long intensive residential program. I went through as a guest, and I was amazed to see there was a whole different kind of therapy that I had never even imagined or known of therapists were casual they wore jeans they sat on the floor I love it yeah they did really cool stuff like um (sighs) action kind of things experiential kind of things it was really wonderful and I got really interested in this thing that they were doing Mm. which was called experiential therapy and later of course uh experienced a little bit of it myself in addition to observing mm-hmm. and then later realized there was actually a name for this kind of therapy that it was rooted in psychodrama a method developed originally back in the 1920s and then later modified and adapted through the years and I had started having this idea that maybe I wanted to become one of these people oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> And so I went back to school and I also wow. found some training in psychodrama. I was lucky enough to be able to train with Zerka Moreno, the co-developer of psychodrama with her husband, Dr. Moreno.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Yes. So yeah. like he's the founder, Dr. Moreno.
1: Yes. Of psychodrama. He was the originator. And then when Zerka came along, his third wife, she ended up contributing to the method as well. So it was a real, real gift to be able to study with her. She was very old Um, by that time. She was in her eighties, but she was alive and loving psychodrama and willing to share. And what a gift. Yes.
0: Yeah. It's so amazing to, to know that like you got to do that and experience, experience her and her direct connection with Dr. Moreno. Wow.
1: And that began my new career where I found that I could be creative, I found that I could be myself, and I could help people, mm. and I could enjoy it as well.
0: Wow. Was, was there a sense before you did that like immersion experience, was there a sense that something was missing in your work as an editor and a journalist or more like you didn't really know?
1: I loved my work as a journalist. Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, We are storytellers.
1: I loved that work, and I loved talking to people, and I loved sharing information that they had to share. But when I found psychodrama, I also found a way of adding to my creativity, and I also found a way to help people in a more direct way. Psychodrama takes theatrical principles and transfer them to a certain kind of psychology and a certain kind of philosophy. So we use these theatrical principles to support people experiencing their problems, their situations, Mm -hmm. their needs in action. And we use improvisation and creativity to allow people to look at roles they've been playing and roles they would like to play oftentimes healthier roles. Mm -hmm. And we do it in a way that can be fun. Now, I'm not going to say that we're laughing all the time, although we certainly do laugh. Sometimes some of the topics we address are really serious, like trauma, addiction, loss, and grief. But we do it in an embodied creative way that helps people be able to move through it Mm. rather than hold it in their heads and talk about it, and sometimes get lost in the thinking and the talking, rather than being with it, experiencing it, and then bringing it to a closing chapter so they can move on.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's that's so beautifully articulated. We do get stuck sometimes, like it doesn't just pass through us. It stays in our heads, that, that ruminating place. Um, and, and that sense, as you describe it, of putting it into action, bringing, I would imagine like bringing it alive into the room and, and, and in front of the person, their very experience. Um, you, you mentioned that psychodrama is really the parents of role play and, you know, maybe, so as you're talking about psychodrama, because I think, I, I mean, I certainly don't know that much about it. And maybe you could share a little bit more, like, how do we know when we're seeing psychodrama?
1: <laughs> well, role play is part of it, but only a part of it. It's a method It has a theory, which we call role theory. It has very specific techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, there's There's a whole lot to it. I've gone to seminars or trainings, not psychodrama trainings, other kinds of trainings or other kinds of programs. And I'm sure you have, too, where someone says at one point, hey, let's do a role play. And oftentimes what happens, right? And oftentimes what happens is people either try to back gently out of the room (laughs) and make themselves invisible, right? Or they go, I'll participate because, well, I guess I have to. Yeah. <laughs> this. Um, so we have the compliant and we have the resistant mm-hmm. and uh and i've seen this so many times and it's always very clear to me that the people that say hey let's do a role play have absolutely no training mm. and often wonder why it's falling flat while people are trying to escape while it stumbles and so forth so in psychodrama we use these theatrical principles of course but we're also very interested in warm up, mm. meaning that people need to be warmed up to take action, or to take significant action. So the warm up process is very important.
0: What would that look like? This warm up process—it's—it makes so much sense.
1: Well, it might start with simple talking or sharing in a group if we're doing it in a group setting. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that. You know, again. Um, the common uh, thought is that if somebody's giving a program, well, they give, they tell a little joke or they have a little icebreaker, usually a joke, and then we go directly to the program or directly to the PowerPoint, right? Right. Um, the warm up is different. The warm up draws people in, it allows people, especially in a group, to know each other. Because if I'm sitting in a group, and I don't know anybody in this group, I am not gonna take very much risk, Mm -hmm. right? It feels anxiety producing, at best unsafe, and so forth. So part of my, and and this is not just my, this is my work as a psychodramatist, but everyone who has studied this work and studied its sister method called sociometry, social measurement, Mm -hmm. social interaction, we're interested in how to have the collection of people sitting before us or with us come actually into being an actual working group.
0: Right. Okay.
1: So we have w- so sharing, of course, you know, hello, my name is Karen I'm right. from Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. That's absolutely one way of doing it, but that's the starting way.
0: The starting way. So that's the beginning, like in, in a group process, like the beginning part of a group.
1: Yes. But then we also have very specific techniques to find out what people have in common that are in action. so it might be if you really like the cold and you love outdoor snowy sports, go stand in this group. Wow. And if you really love summer vacations in Florida, go stand in this group. And if you really kind of like half and half, go stand in that group. Then we have people going over here and going over there and so forth. And then they get to talk and get acquainted. That's brilliant. Yeah. They're talking about something not too threatening, right? But something that, of course, they want Mm -hmm. to talk about. Mm -hmm. And suddenly they start to get to know each other better.
0: Yes. Right. Right. The connection begins.
1: A connection begins. Exactly. Now, if I were doing a group on trauma, I probably wouldn't necessarily begin with weather. Although I might, Mm -hmm. Um, but I might begin with another kind of question like, um, anybody here do yoga? Okay, maybe you go stand over there. And anybody here really love reading novels, go over here. Anybody here have cats, go over there. Mm -hmm. So we start talking about our lives and we start sharing again on a basic level, but still getting acquainted. Mm -hmm. Then maybe later we might move into more questions dealing with the actual topic and the reason we're there that is there's a name for this it's called a locogram. okay Um, and there's names for many many of these kinds of activities some very different but they allow people to start getting connected with each other in safe and easy ways
0: Mm -hmm. wow that's that's great and i i just want to make sure the listener knows we're we're going to be learning so much today and also that Karen has this Lancaster School of Psychodrama and Experiential Psychotherapies where you would be able to learn from her and there are lots of different courses so um just hold tight because if all of this is interesting to you uh there is a place to access it so i i love this this beginning part i've learned so much about that how to do a warm up and it makes sense right especially when you say like imagine going to a training and the facilitator says let's do a role play and it falls flat what's missing possibly a warm up uh, you know among other things but so that is part of the initial process and then what happens during a psychodrama session
1: so eventually and this would happen in a group it's a little bit different in a one to one session but eventually in a group Um, the group starts bubbling and themes start arising Mm. and um, people may voice themes as they are taking part in these activities, as they are meeting people, as they are sharing, as they're feeling more safe to bring up what's important to them. And so then we begin to notice what themes are present and we have what is often called the central concern. So, is there one theme in the group that seems to be, perhaps, shared by a number of people? That seems important to a number of people, if not everyone in group. Hmm. And then what happens is a protagonist is selected through a whole variety of means. We use the word protagonist rather than client. Okay. We are using theatrical principles, and the director, who is the therapist again, using theatrical. Mm-hmm. Lingo right um, works with the protagonist to have a drama hmm. about that topic or that issue or that concern. And the others in the group have the opportunity to play roles for oh, that person. okay.
0: So are are they assigned roles like by the director or by the protagonist who assigns the roles?
1: Typically, the protagonist chooses. Okay, because there is, a connection so if i choose you to play my sister mm-hmm. i kind of feel you already being my sister in a way and maybe you'll just look like her for instance right um or maybe for another reason um so if i pick that's a further warm-up of my readiness and my involvement in this drama that's about to take place
0: mm. wow this sounds so powerful you I, I'm just also recalling once I I did this supervision training, and we did some kind of supervision where we had roles, and maybe it was a psychodrama psychodrama form of supervision. Uh, does that sound like something you've heard of, Karen?
1: I have not only heard of it, I that is one oh. of the
0: ways I do supervision oh, as well. Oh, amazing. Cool. Yes. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. Not that I don't talk about, you know, someone brings a, a situation, we might talk about it. But yes, I've absolutely used that in that we might role reverse with the client, mm-hmm. you know, the person we are stuck with. Well, what's it like to be in the client's experience? It's very different than looking at the client out there. Versus let me step into this experience of this human being and let me imagine what it might be like for this individual. Sometimes it's a matter of just, you know, moving my chair and and imagining myself being this person. Sometimes I might move to another chair, complete another
0: chair. We get the body very involved. So a body movement or embodying. Yes. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes, this is the original somatic therapy in a way yeah, um, because we are using the body. And sometimes I might talk to you as your client. So Mm -hmm. you're in the client. I don't like the word client a lot, the person you're working with. So sometimes you can take the role and then I might talk to you and interview you in that role. Hello, what's your name? How long have you been in therapy? Tell me about your relationship with so-and-so therapist. Mm -hmm. And we, We go on from there. And many times the therapist in feeling into and languaging that person's experience, things begin to happen. Right.
0: I could just feel the ah ahas. Yes.
1: Yes. That they would never get to if we just sat around and talked about the individual according to facts.
0: Exactly. Which can sometimes be really boring. (laughs) It can be, it can be. You know, not always, but it can be. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that doesn't do anyone a service, the therapist or the client. Yes. It's a
1: deeper way of going into the experience and extracting information Mm
0: -hmm. from
1: another level of intelligence.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm seeing so many of the links for you when this psychodrama is from the theater and there's the protagonist and the director and then i think about writing and you being a writer and an author and there's there's that connection we'll di- discuss your books a little bit later but so here we are the the protagonist may assign some roles based on how they are feeling pulled or drawn or connected to different individuals in the group and then what happens
1: so a drama is created It may be just one scene, maybe a long scene, one just one scene. It may be a few scenes, or it may be depending on the complexity of the the issue and the amount of time available, it actually may go on for many scenes, uh, maybe as one hour or even two hours or even more. Mm. And so the director working with the protagonist takes the drama into scene after scene after scene until we feel like we come to a conclusion around that issue. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's a final statement, some kind of closure. The drama is ended. Those people that have been playing roles step out of those roles and Mm de-roll. And then we have the third very important part of psychodrama, which is the sharing. So everybody convenes back into the circle, and everyone shares to the protagonist about how he, she, or they related to the drama they just experienced. Mm. That brings the protagonist back into the group, allows people to share their experience in participating or watching, and watching is participating as well, and allows the group to come back together in a new way. And the protagonist learns that he or she or they are not alone which is really, really important because, Mm -hmm. you know, I as a therapist can assure you that many people have experienced your problem. And I can assure you that, you know, whatever you're experiencing is quite normal, but it's really different, especially in a group setting where you don't just hear it from me or maybe don't even hear it from me at all, but you hear it from the people you are with.
0: Yes. It, it becomes a, a much more lived experience. The validation goes so much deeper. And uh, I go back to what you said about bringing it into action. Like they they actually experience that. It seems like a very potentially powerful healing uh, approach, healing therapy.
1: It is very powerful, so powerful for me that I literally changed careers about it when <laughs> I found it. And I will tell you that I've seen it daily, really, mm. through the years where people shift and change. And they may have been talking about something for years and years and years, or thinking or journaling about something seemingly forever. And in an hour, if there's you know involvement and willingness
0: and mm. so forth, things can really shift. Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. There's power in this this sense of the group or the the community that develops from being in this group connection that must be part of the healing.
1: Yes, yes. One of Dr. Marino's many, many sentences, many, many pieces of wisdom is that we're often injured in groups Mm. and we are healed by groups.
0: I say to my couples, we, we heal in relationship. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: Mm. I fully agree with that. Karen, as you describe this, I'm, I'm just going to tell you what I'm feeling a little bit like there's excitement, you know, you're, you're effusive about this and you know, the listener can't see, but you're smiling and you're gesturing. And it's, it's really, it's really, there's an excitement and a passion that comes through. And so also this work sounds hard. Like you're talking a session or a group could be multiple hours long of pretty deep, intense engagement. So what is that like? And then, you know, what happens after that? Like, is there a letdown, you know, seriously, sort of like, you know, somebody goes and they do some high performance athleticism and then there's a letdown afterwards. Sounds very similar to me.
1: Well, it's true. There is a good amount of energy expended in doing this work, hmm. but I will also tell you that I really love it. Hmm. And I think that's really important um, that it suits me. It fits me. It fits my creative way of living and way of being, first of all. Mm -hmm. And um, I do have absolutely a passion for it. And because I've been doing it for such a long time, I've seen many wonderful things with it.
0: Mm. And
1: that inspires me and encourages me as well. Um, So yes, the work can be demanding or challenging, but it can also be wonderful and inspiring and people You know, people showing up and taking risks and sharing can be also very inspiring. Yeah, as well.
0: Yeah, thank you for sharing that. So you've been doing this for the past thirty years.
1: I was introduced to this work in
0: 1985,
1: Mm. and then I went um, and then I began to think about changing my career, and finally, made the leap in 1989. I began to study mm-hmm. uh, experiential therapies in general, and then ultimately with Zerka Marino in 1991 began to study with her directly. Wow.
0: Yes, wow. Have you seen changes in the the field of either psychodrama or experiential therapy over this time? Be curious, like what changes have you seen? Well, I think that therapists and
1: other helping professionals are becoming more interested in experiential therapies of various kinds, Mm -hmm. including somatic therapies and so forth. And I think that the people coming to us are becoming more aware as well that there are other ways of healing and other ways of growing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of many of the people that have come to me, and by the way, now I do exclusively training. Um, okay but uh with a couple of psychotherapy clients um but um people are more aware of i've been talking about this for like a really long time and i know my problem really well
0: (laughs) right yes
1: and so many times people are looking for other approaches Mm -hmm. so i think in the population at large, more and more people are becoming aware. There's lots of roots to healing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's true. I mean, I, a lot of us will have clients that come to psychotherapy and then they're also choosing other therapies, you know, adjunctive to that like Reiki or um, you know, different somatic therapies. Um Often they'll tell me like, you know, they go to improv groups, which I find so interesting. And now I'm getting a glimpse that that's that there's a real healing elements in there as well, even if it's not at all therapeutic.
1: Yes. Well, it's kind of a hidden therapy because it's first of all, even in improv, I've done some improv as well. Mm-hmm. It's play. Uh, and, you know, so many of us need way more play in our lives. Way more I say play. that most all the time. Us, I need way need more. more to- Yeah, yeah. Most of us need more play to begin with. And then, of course, if we come from trauma or addiction, Mm -hmm. we definitely need play because many times with addiction, fun was the drinking or the drugging. Exactly. Or trauma survivors have spent 99.9% of their time surviving. So, play in itself becomes incredibly therapeutic. Mm -hmm. number one. And number two, improv, like psychodrama, allows us to take new roles and experience other ways of being. Mm. And that becomes really valuable as well.
0: Thank you for explaining that. That's huge. Did you know one in five people will experience a mental health issue this year? MentalHealthThreads.com is your online shop dedicated to promoting mental health awareness and breaking the stigma surrounding mental illness. You can find fun, creative, and inspiring products like t-shirts, hoodies, and more, all with positive messages that remind us to take care of our mental health. Favorites like perfectly imperfect, your anxiety is telling you lies, it's okay to not do it all, and no risk, no magic. Plus, we have a special collection just for therapists, like our bestseller, I'm a mom and a therapist, nothing scares me. So come check it out at mentalhealththreads.com. Our mission is to start important conversations about mental health and to remind you that you are not alone. Check out mentalhealththreads.com today. As you talk about these other roles. And it's, I think it's really helping me and hopefully other listeners wrap their heads around the power and change that exists in that. What is sociometry and maybe just help us understand that a little bit more because so, so many therapists, you know, are working with relationships, families, couples um, in schools, that sort of thing.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes. So we work with sociometry in groups. Uh, I talked earlier about the logogram, and there are many, many other techniques and activities. But also, it's a philosophy. So I also keep it in mind when I work with people. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely about relationships. And it's definitely how we relate to each other, how we pick people to be in our lives or not pick, Mm -hmm. how we might pick friends or lovers or spouses, or even bosses, or any other
0: Hmm.
1: number of relationships, you know, so I'll give you a long ago example. Okay. And um, although I, it comes up again and again. So, you know, many years ago, I was working with a man who wanted to develop relationships with women. Mm -hmm. Um, He had just broken up with a relationship, he was looking to start out again. And he said to me, He had an aversion to nicotine smoking. I think he was allergic, something like that. And he said, I don't want anybody who smokes. Okay, fine. That makes sense. I'm okay with that.
0: This is before (laughs) match.com and all those things where you just check off the box.
1: (laughs) This was a very long time ago. And um, so I had him draw a diagram of the women in his life that he knew that were single in whatever way you know neighbors friends people he knew from various activities in his life so he drew a a diagram with a whole bunch of different circles and named them you know this one's named so and so this one's named so and so this was named so and so and then i said okay you know check check the circles of the women you are interested in asking out so he followed directions he checked those particular circles and guess what it turned out that several of the women he was interested in asking out anything to know better were smokers.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, well, interesting. Isn't that interesting? You know, what yeah. was this? So he's going to be permanently dissatisfied with that relationship, even just at the very beginning, Yeah. right? He's going to be annoyed. He's going to maybe try to talk the woman into not smoking. He's going to, be on be vigilant he's just it's it's not a good start for a relationship
0: right right this
1: was a real eye-opener for him on a very simple level about well how are you making your choices Mm. you know so faced with a group of possibilities friends lovers whoever whatever how do we become more conscious of the choices we are making and why
0: and it goes beyond patterns.
1: It's about what's conscious and what's unconscious.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, so maybe he was choosing the woman, and I don't remember all the details now. This was a long time ago. Maybe he was choosing them because they were cute or they were sexy or they lived, you know, in the same neighborhood, or whatever. But one of his very key deal breakers was this one thing. So we automatically start seeing this conflict right. going on, right? So to have him become aware about exactly what was his criteria and what he really wanted became really, really important.
0: Hmm. Yes, that's so that's so beautiful way to really help us kind of take the blinders off you know the way we put ourselves in these boxes or think this is a priority or create these rigid judgments and that constricts our range of possibility constricts our range of you know taking those risks as you said and expansion for growth
1: Mm -hmm. and of course there's many criteria for many many kinds of things you know Mm -hmm. friendships for who you might pick to, who you might pick to study with, you know, Mm -hmm. you know, or who you might pick to mentor with or anything else. So we're looking for satisfying relationships. And of course, the very best relationship is a mutual choice. Not only that I pick you, Mm -hmm.
0: but you pick me too. Right. And does that harken back a little bit to the way the psychodrama is formatted? And I i don't know the right words to use, but like when you said the protagonist picks the roles and then you have the sharing part afterwards where there's like also a giving back. It, it feels to me like there's a bit of that mutuality. Maybe it wasn't I pick you and you pick me, but it feels a little closer than Regular therapy. I mean, we don't get that that same exact experience of picking each other as therapist client.
1: Yes. So yes. So picking somebody to play a role is definitely a choice because you know if I pick you to play a role for me in my drama, I have this idea that you could fulfill mm-hmm. the job, right? Now you do get an opportunity to decline. I, I didn't okay. say that earlier. Like maybe you're really tired, or maybe. It's a role that you just don't want to play or whatever. you do get that, that opportunity to decline. But yes, there is definitely picking involved. and in the warm-up part, we often do choice. sometimes we call it hands-on choice. there's some other ways of choosing and so forth. And we do practice and are very aware of the choices we are making on a number of levels. And I would say even in therapist, you know, the therapist, client person, set of roles you know haven't we all had somebody who has come to us and then later decided kind of maybe disappeared ghosted whatever we're calling right. it these days right all the time so, yeah so that was not mutual choice right
0: i see right
1: so you know the people who stay with us that's mutual choice they yeah. want what we have
0: right except what about how about this one, Karen, yes. when the, the client is like, oh, that is not my favorite client. Like, you know, they either, you feel like there's a little disconnect or you are working so hard to try to forge that connection. Um, I'm sure that you'll say that's a mutual choice for the growth of the therapist. Well,
1: it's probably what we would call it ambivalent choice. And oh. I'm, st- and it may be a little more complicated than that. Probably talk about that for a whole hour too. Um, there may be ambivalence around that choice, and there may be ambivalence
0: with you, right?
1: And there may be ambivalence with the other person as well.
0: Oh, I love this. And then That's there's also great.
1: not just choosing you, but choosing therapy. You know, have I really signed on to therapy full heartedly, mm-hmm. or am I kind of like sticking my toe in? Oh, maybe I want to do this. I don't know. I'm kind of hoping it works. Because we not just don't just choose people, we choose all kinds of things.
0: Right. Right. Oh, that is fabulous. Clients and therapists are so lucky to work with you. I I can just feel the, you know, like being able to have this is like a mini supervision for me. It's amazing. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Wonderful.
0: It's, it's so great. Oh, I I feel really, really blessed. I know you do something called uh, the ancestor stories and family constellation and all therapists I know are super interested in, you know, intergenerational trauma and, and families. And I do not know what this is. Family constellation. Love to know more.
1: Yeah. So family constellations, sometimes called systemic constellations is a newer approach coming out of Germany, originated by Bert Hellinger a family therapist who died just a couple of years ago. And he originally started working with the children of the Holocaust survivors Mm -hmm. and the children of the Nazis. He was in Germany and of course, well, Mm -hmm. you know, that was the setting. And he was doing um, amazing work. And the crux of the matter was that he became aware children carried the traumas of their parents, their grandparents, further ancestors. Others have worked with trauma of this sort in a way, including a psychodramatist in France, and Anselin and bersee but he worked in a slightly different way. It was experiential, it is experiential. The idea is that the trauma passes down the generations and rests in our bodies. So, it's Mm -hmm. also this particular way of working is also a very somatic way of working in that we hold unconscious material about the trauma of past generations. And because it is unconscious, it's affecting our lives in very serious ways, but we're not exactly sure how or why to find it and to heal
0: it. Mm. Often it doesn't make sense to the person.
1: Exactly. And many times people have been very involved in all kinds of personal work, including psychodrama and all kinds of other things, but still something is amiss. And so this kind of work is around discovering what traumas have been c- held by the generations mm. and what traumas might be with you today and how we can resolve them so the trauma stays in the generation where it happened and not with you in the current generation
0: so so the work is to try to disconnect the trauma from the generation that it passed into <laughs> yes
1: disconnect the trauma but stay connected to the family member.
0: Right. Because Without so many times, feeling guilt or something else that
1: guilt or desire to help, or even carrying it unconsciously. Sometimes it's somebody that we didn't even know that they died long before we even yeah. were born. Yeah. Um, yes. Mm-hmm.
0: yes. What, ha- what happens, Karen, if the, um, client, I'm just, going to use client for now if the client doesn't know their family history they don't know you know past say their grandmother they say oh i'm not i don't really know if there was trauma you know say past their grandmother they don't have more family history um but you have a an intuitive sense that they probably do have some you know in ancestral trauma
1: yes so excellent question so there's several ways of working with that on a very practical, basic way, we do find out what the person does know. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, what is your heritage? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm Irish. Okay, and do you know by any chance when your family might have emigrated? Got it. Um, those kinds of things. Well, we might discover. Well, I'm Irish, and you know my ancestors immigrated during the potato famine, mm-hmm. and we start thinking of starvation. Right right it's yeah. often connected with eating disorders by the way
0: right? oh interesting yeah.
1: mm-hmm. um, or we start or we start thinking of immigration and the immigration itself as a trauma yes you know and um, the immigrants coming to a new land the united states if that's the land they're coming to um, immigrants are often at the bottom of the social system so mm-hmm. experiencing lots of prejudice and all of that right so so sometimes the traumas are personal traumas which we may not know about but sometimes they're collective trauma
0: collective yes i'm i'm super interested in that and i think um it's really helpful to just hear you express it this way because it gives us a, a place to go a starting point you know use a little history and find find out what you know and then you can place that person in kind of that that ecological environmental setting and and really start to understand it Makes so much sense and and we're dealing with so much of this still today with so many of the immigration issues and new refugees and asylees and too much trauma <laughs> yes
1: it's yeah. hugely topical today and so many times, the culture at large does not see all of this as trauma. It becomes really political, and people take sides. But in reality, it's great trauma in the here in the current day. And many of the ta- many in the cases as well is um, that the tr- there's hidden trauma in our country. It's my personal belief is why we are having such incredible political problems and divisions mm-hmm. because there's a lot of trauma. Our country has never, ever truly acknowledged uh, the genocide of the Native Americans has right. never really been acknowledged. Enslavement mm-hmm. of African peoples and ensla- kidnapping and enslavement has never been truly acknowledged. So there are layers and layers of trauma that our culture has been built on.
0: Yes. And, and it still gets, you know, brushed under the carpet and, and then these new you know, hotbeds of trauma and and that we see in the news and immigration and and wars and so on only reactivates and re-triggers this, perhaps at an unconscious, sometimes conscious level. But so then there's those multi-layered trigger points. Yes, Mm -hmm. exactly. Mm -hmm. So the, the family constellation work is based on the work that the german founder created the theories that he created yes yes
1: um the theories especially the philosophy Mm -hmm. there's also an experiential phenomenological piece which i do want to add in addition to knowing a little bit about the history of the person or the person's heritage and that is that of representative perception so earlier in psychodrama we talked about group members playing roles Mm -hmm. for the protagonist in constellations. It's a little bit different group members do what we call representation where they're not role playing. They're not acting, but they're standing in simply standing in, standing in a spot on the carpet, standing up and they are feeling into the person that they're representing for. And I'll just tell you one of many, 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 many dramatic stories. Okay, um, cool. Where I was working in a group in a session uh, for a man who wanted to address something about his family of origin. And he asked someone to represent his mother. And so this is representation, not acting. Mm -hmm. The woman agreed. She stood up in the center of the circle. She's feeling into, just silently, mindfully feeling into, The space, and she says, My legs, my legs, they're very weak. It's like I'm going to fall to the floor. Wow. And the man said, My mother had multiple sclerosis. How is that possible? It's, I've seen it a million times. Oh my God. Many of us have seen it. And so, yes. And these are literally people that literally met like, you know, 10 minutes ago. Right that did not share any personal history on either side. Mm -hmm. So this gives us even more information about how body can be amazingly intelligent and tune into information that our brain does not know that we have no genogram for. There's no known history. Mm -hmm. And that also happens through this amazing uh, happenstance of Representative perception, Mm -hmm. and then so we work with that. So I, as the facilitator, then work with what people are reporting that they are picking up with their body experience. Mm. So once again, a kind of experiential work, but different than the theatrical psychodrama. Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. Yes, thank you for that distinction, and what a powerful example. There's there's so much that we don't understand, but that you know, maybe it's we you know, people have talked about the mirror neurons that happen and the different planes that you might be in if you're if you're in an altered state or if you're just really present and we don't tap into that. So um, I think most therapists are very open to that to that idea, and we would love to see more of it, but we don't know necessarily the practices that will get us there. And this is all about healing and and creating connection for people, which is, so important. Yes. Yes. There are many ways of heal. There are many ways to grow.
1: There are yeah. many ways to shift.
0: I would love if you could share a little bit about the Lancaster School, what you offer there. And I think, because I think it, it could be so robust and we will be sure to include all of your links. Karen has amazing links and different offerings out there in the internet on the internet so we'll be sure to share that but tell us a little bit about about this this school you founded yes
1: well so i'm one of many many trainers board certified trainers in the us who are trained to offer psychodrama typically we have institutes or schools and we you know people come to us and want to learn my school until the pandemic was actually a brick and mortar location
0: oh.
1: um, where I had a nice big room, a uh, very nice, lovely space. I had props, I had pillows, I had chairs I had all kinds of things that oh, aided gosh. in like, some drums, all kinds of things that aided in the creation of these uh, experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the pandemic showed up, of course, in March, 2020, um, I like, practically everybody else went online.
0: Yes. It was heartbreaking um, to lose that space.
1: Yeah, it definitely was. And yes, it was. Yeah. Yes, it was. But I carried on thanks to online um, options as did many of my colleagues. So for the last nearly three years, I've been online mm-hmm. and um it does work very well online. In fact, I had a training this morning with a co-presenter colleague of mine, and it was very powerful and worked very well. Although I will honestly say that I personally prefer working in person, as I think yeah. most of us do. Yeah. Um,
0: Especially with the experiential work. I mean, the more we can use our, our whole bodies and be able to perceive nuances of the people we're with, it's so much more helpful.
1: Yes. Yes. Although there are ways to adapt and to Mm -hmm. change and, and, you know, many of us have done that. So right now it is online and I do offer periodic trainings on various topics, sometimes taught by me and sometimes taught by me and a Mm co-presenter. And then I do have some groups for professionals. Um, Right now, what has, which has been popular has been a group on working with the tarot and working with the tarot experientially, because I did do a video, um, I think last year on working with the tarot, which seems to be also a growing interest. Yes, therapists, right. And um, so that is a monthly group that I offer. And then um, the other group that has been very well received is writing for helpers and healers. Because, uh, well, I was a journalist and writing Mm -hmm. is very easy for me. And I do write, I've written books, I have some more books that I am in the process of writing and other people want to do that too. So it's a, it's a group in which we use to actually use experiential methods to look at these projects that we either are writing or want to write and how to dissolve the writer's blocks, how to move forward when we're stuck, Mm -hmm. um, how to become more imaginative or more creative um, so that our special voice can come forward, our special way of being can come forward. And we use psychodrama, systemic mm-hmm. constellations, all of those things to support that process. Mm-hmm.
0: That's amazing. That's, sound, it sounds so exciting. Or if they want to just start writing something, I mean, do they, do they have to have something in progress or could they be, you know, new writers?
1: It's been both, both. Uh, some people in my group right now, uh, if this group has been going on, this is the second year And people come and go, of course, according to Mm -hmm. their schedule and their projects and time and so forth. There are some people that are like literally this far away from publishing. They're almost done. (sighs) They've been working on their projects for a while. And then there are some people that are just beginning to think, I might have something to write about. I'm maybe not even sure what it is, but Mm -hmm. it feels like something is organically brewing inside of me. Uh, So it's all range of anyone who really. Wants to write or has a thought that they might want to write.
0: Oh, so rewarding. It's so many different levels. That is really great. Karen has written so many books, and maybe I'll just read a few of the titles here. She's the author of Show and Tell Psychodrama Skills for Therapists, Coaches, Teachers, Leaders. That one I think many people would be interested in. Where could people find out about that book?
1: All my books are on Amazon.
0: Amazing. Okay co-author of Integrating Psychodrama and Systemic Constellations, New Directions with Action Methods, Mind-Body Therapies, and Energy Healing with Ronald Anderson. And you're a co-author of that book. And most recently, she assisted in the writing of Words of the Daughter, a memoir by Regina Moreno, the daughter of J.L. Moreno, the originator of psychodrama, and Florence Bridge Moreno. Wow. And you were still working on more.
1: I'm still working on more.
0: You have so much effervescence and vitality and you love your work and everything you're doing. It really is is so fun to talk with you and learn from you. Also, I love to ask people um, who are my guests, how would you answer this? Um, What's your definition of a heart-centered therapist?
1: So my definition of a heart-centered therapist is a therapist who... Sees the people that they work with as human beings. That's one of the reasons I have such a problem with the word client. Yeah. is I think that we should remember that we are working with human beings and to look and see how we can make that connection with human beings.
0: Tell everyone your website, please, so they can find it.
1: So if you have been ignited by being interested in psychodrama, one of the best places to learn is our annual conference, and it is um, sponsored by the American Society of Group Psychotherapy and Psychodrama. It's March 29th to April 2nd. Mm -hmm. It's at Fordham University in the Bronx, New York. So it's very accessible for especially people on the East Coast, and it's a great way to notice the incredible versatility of psychodrama and sociometry and group psychotherapy. See lots of different trainers in action.
0: That sounds amazing. Wonderful. Yes. Thank you for telling us that. We'll link to it in the show notes for sure. And super exciting. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And as for me, you can find me at real dot r-e-a-l-t-r-u-e karen my name, dot com. thank you so much
0: karen it's been a real pleasure
1: thank you it's been my pleasure too
0: thank you so much for listening i hope you enjoyed this episode and if you did i invite you to subscribe and leave a rating or review it really helps other people find this podcast be sure to check out the show notes for all the links and resources mentioned thanks again and i'll see you next time